0: Thanks for listening to the Grace Hill podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. For more information about Grace Hill, follow us on social media at gracehill901 or visit gracehill901.com. We've been in this series called 936 the last several weeks, and there's 936 weeks from the time that your child is born until the time that they graduate. 936 weeks from the time that your child is born until the time that your child graduates. And And so we have have been been looking looking at at this with our our vision saying that that we we want want to make make a lasting impact on a generation that we may not see. These 936 weeks become incredibly important. They become incredibly critical for us to maximize the most of those weeks that we have in our home, whether they're in our home or they're also in our church. And I'm not sure if you figured this out. Even if you're not parents yet or even if you're not grandparents yet, Uh, you probably remember being a child or you remember having your children at home. And if you remember that, you know that there are plenty of opportunities for us to fight. I don't know if that's ever happened. Maybe it's just my home. Maybe we're the one of the ones that only ever fight in our home with our children. Uh, But when you're trying to wrestle these little personalities to the ground, uh, it can become challenging if you've never had a two-year-old in your home. Just, you know, go hang out in the, uh, the little preschool area this morning and you'll get a taste of what I'm talking about. Um, it seems like almost in every phase of, of child development that it enters into uh, a different season of where these tensions come from. And you guys have heard me talk about Cody uh, a lot. Cody is my never-ending well of sermon illustrations, Uh, He is four years old, and I feel like every time I'm getting ready to teach a message that's really hard to teach, God gives me lots of illustrations during that week with Cody, and this week was no exception. So this week, uh, we went out on Wednesday to go uh, shopping for some shoes for Lila. Now, if you, my wife was out of town, and so yes, you did hear that correctly, dad took one of the daughters out to go shopping for shoes, okay? So uh, we went to a store, and for years, Cody's four, for years, he has always taken a little toy with him. It just, it's almost like a security blanket. He just something he can put in his hand. And lately, it's been a Lego Ninjago. Now, if you don't know what a Lego Ninjago figure is, it's on the screen right now. Uh, He has been taking a Lego Ninjago figure with him everywhere. The trouble is, if you don't know what a Lego Ninjago is or the size of it, this is about the actual size of a Lego Ninjago, okay? You cannot find it anywhere. It is gone, missing all the time. And if you know anything about a four-year-old, when they're missing their toy, it becomes a major challenge in the home, okay? So we went out Wednesday, went shopping, looking around, trying to find some shoes. Cody had his Lego Ninjago with him, the actual size represented on the screen, and he decided to wander around the corner and to to take the arms of the Lego Ninjago off. The problem was that when he took the arms of the Lego Ninjago off, they didn't just like, you know, fall on the ground, they kind of flew. They kind of popped off the Lego Ninjago and flew. The trouble with it was, and i will spared the poor store's name from being repeated on the podcast right now, but the problem is we were in one of those really cool outdoor stores that have all the big expensive water bottles, if you know what I'm talking about, and one of the arms flew into the big display case that has all the $50 water bottles at the bottom, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, this is a knockoff brand, but this is basically what I'm talking about right here, and all of a sudden, I began to hear the loudest noise. Cody had decided that the 30 water bottles that were on the bottom shelf had to come out. Now, if it was you and I, we would reach down and take one out at a time, but not Cody. My son decided that they all needed to come out as quickly as possible so that he could find his Lego Ninjago arm. Needless to say, it was in the back of the display. Needless to say, by the time I had gotten over there, almost all 30 or 40 water bottles were off the display making the loudest noise humanly possible on a 5.30 afternoon in a very, very quiet store. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you know the emotion that I had in that moment right then. It was not sweet. It was not full of compassion. It was anything far from grace and mercy. Matter of fact, if a heart doctor had been pretty close by, he would have been very, very concerned about the condition and the state of my blood pressure in that moment. And here is the reality for me in that moment. I have a choice to make as a parent. And in those moments, you have a choice to make. And the challenge for all of us today is that I want to challenge us to this, is that as we wrestle these hearts to the ground, is that we want to be fighting for our children, not fighting with our children. That we want to we find ourselves fighting for our kids, not fighting with our kids as best as we humanly and with the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ can possibly do. That we want to find ourselves fighting for them, fighting for their hearts, not fighting with them or against them. And we've been in this passage of Scripture the last several weeks in this book called Deuteronomy. If you don't know anything about the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So this is really early on. And this message that we've been looking at spans several chapters in Deuteronomy. This message that we've been looking at is one of the last messages that Moses is giving to the people of Israel. And so these words are incredibly important. They're incredibly important to continue to sustain the goodness of God, the, the, the thought of God into these people's lives and as they'll carry God on into the next generation. And so we tune our ears, we listen closely to these words. These words in Deuteronomy 10, verse starting in verse 12, say this. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? In other words, what are his rules? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. Easy enough, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's easy. And you must obey the Lord's commands and decrees. That's his rules, that's his law, that's what he expects. That I'm giving you today for your own good. Now, here's something that's really important to understand about these words and in this moment. These words in this moment would have been nothing really unusual for the children of Israel. Why? They were very used to rules. If you know anything about the Bible, or even if you don't know anything about the Bible, just sometime for a lazy Saturday afternoon enjoyment, just read the book of Leviticus. And you'll find a few rules outlined in the book of Leviticus. Rules were nothing unusual. So when Moses says, hey, these are the laws and the decrees... This is the rules. These are God's expectations. This was nothing that was foreign to the children of Israel. They understood that God had rules. God had laws. God had decrees. God had standards that he set up in that moment for his people. Now, again, in my house, we have rules. We have standards. But this rule was different. The tone of this rule changed. The tone of this law and this decree was different than if you read the book of Leviticus and you see what's outlined there in the, the, the book of Leviticus, this was different. You see, this rule focused on something entirely different than maybe what the heartbeat of the rules in the past had been. Because this rule focused more on a relationship than it did anything else. Why the change? Why the change all of a sudden in this moment? Why was something dramatically different now than what it had been? There was a change between the the do's and the don'ts. The, The change of the past, the change of what had been, to focusing more on the who, the giver of the law, to focusing on the who, the person behind, the why behind the what. And what, and what Moses was, 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 was challenging his people with in this moment, and, and, and I'm telling you, this, this challenged me even this week as I studied this text and I studied this passage. This is what Moses, this was the script that was shifting for the people of Israel in this moment. What was shifting in this moment was this, is that a relationship with God is more important than the rules of God. A relationship with God is, is more important than the rules of God. Why? Because rules apart from a relationship just equals legalism. But rules in the context of a relationship equals trust. Rules apart from the context of a relationship equals a transaction. God, I'm going to do this for you because this is your rule, and you're going to do this for me because I kept your rule. But rules within the context of a relationship equal surrender. And I want to challenge each of you this, with this this morning. If you are using or if you think you can use the rules of God to build a relationship with God, it will always end in resentment. If you are using the rules of God, the do's and the don'ts, God, I kept your commands. I didn't do those bad things. I didn't do those things. I may have a few areas in my life that need some work, but I didn't do what she did. If you're using the rules of God, To build a relationship with God, it is always, always going to end in resentment towards God. But if you build a relationship with God, the rules of God, the framework of how God wants us to live our lives and order our lives and construct our lives, the, the rules of God will be a natural overflow out of your love for God. Just think about it. Again, just just real quick. Just put it in the context of marriage. Every marriage has rules. And if your marriage is set up just strictly based on the rules, I can do this, I can't do this, she can do this, she can't do this, if that is all the essence of your relationship, you will always find yourself being resentful towards your spouse. But when you begin to cultivate a relationship, When you begin to change the relationship to be focused on the who, not just the what, guess what begins to happen? You you want to do everything you can to begin to make that person happy. You want to do everything you can to support that person, to encourage that person. Because the, the framework of the relationship flows out of the love that you have for that person, and the same goes for God. If you are using the rules of God to build a relationship with God, those rules in that relationship are always gonna end in resentment. Because one of the first things you need to know about God is this. People wanna oftentimes use the rules of God, the the law, the the commands, the the do's and the don'ts of scripture. People oftentimes wanna use that so they can figure God out. And newsflash, the mysteries of God are deep. No man, no mind, no person can understand the depth of who our God is. And so it's not, in this moment, Moses is saying, hey, a relationship with God is so much more important than just the rules of God. And if you take this and put it into the context of parenting, because again, God and Jesus, they're our model. So when we want to talk about parenting, we look to them and we say, okay, Jesus wants us to focus more on the relationship. God, in this moment here, God's telling Moses, hey, focus more on the relationship than the rules. Things begin to shift in our parenting, do they not? Things begin to move a little bit. It doesn't mean that there's the absence of rules. It just means that relationship takes priority. Moses knew that this was the path to having a relationship with God. And watch what he goes on to say. This is so powerful. Watch, what, Watch what, he what he goes on to say. Therefore, because you're the object of his love, or because of this, he goes on and he says, sorry, I got, I got off. Let's go back to verse 14. I apologize. Verse 14. Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Let the Lord choose, uh, 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 yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the objects of his love. And he chose you, their descendants, above all other nations, as is evident today. Moses is saying, hey, this is what God has done for you. This is what God has already accomplished. He he has already gone before you and proven to you how much he loves you. And, And God has done the same for each and every one of us in the person, in the deity of Jesus Christ. He's already said, "Hey, this is how much I love you. I would give my only son for you." There are the rules, but God always wants those to flow from the context of relationship. You, you are not the object of God's rules. God does not have his rules and his laws and his regulations and his constraints. He does not have those pointed and and aimed at you. You are the object of God's love. And that changes everything. It changes everything. This week, there was a powerful moment. I got the chance to proctor and uh, Jessica Reisinger, our Compassion Director, is here in the back. Jessica, will you wave and just so I can embarrass you because you love being in front of everybody and everybody's heads turning around to look at you. Um, Jessica does an incredible job uh, with our partnership with Germantown Elementary School. And so she had organized this opportunity for many of us, many of you to go and to partner and to, to be proctors for their statewide testing. And I had the privilege to sit, we have a couple of teachers from Germantown Elementary that that come to church here, and I had the privilege to sit in Miss Kathy Busan's room on Tuesday and Thursday of this week. Now, if you don't know Kathy, you need to meet Kathy. But here's what I was awestruck with. That woman had command of a room full of second graders. I mean, command of that room. But you know what was Amazing. Those kids operated within the rules of Miss Busan's classroom. All Miss Busan would have to say is, "Now, friends," and the whole class would just go quiet. All Miss Busan would have to say is, "Now, friends, we've got one more moment, one more thirty-minute block of testing." And all the kids would just get so excited because they knew snack time was coming. Then after snack, it was lunch. The kids operated within the rules of Ms. Busan's classroom. But do you know why they operated within the rules of that classroom to the level that they did? It's because they knew how much Ms. Busan cared. They knew how much Ms. Busan prays for them. How much Ms. Busan thinks about them when she's not only at school, but away from school. They all would say that they have, even though it's a child teacher relationship, those students would say they have a relationship with Miss Busan. And I was awestruck. I was simply awestruck at this moment. Where, yes, there's rules, and they understand the context, and they're at school. But I'm telling you, Ms. Busan's pre-test speech that she gave on Tuesday had me believing in myself, and I was just there to proctor. And I can proctor. I can do this. I can watch these kids. I can sharpen these pencils. I can do it. I mean, she had me excited. And in the minds and the hearts of these little second graders, some of them who probably received more care and more attention and more love at this school than they do in the rest of their week, well, yes, they played within the context and they worked within the context of Miss Busan's rules, but it all flowed out of a relationship. And the fact that they knew that Miss Busan loved them and cared for them.
1: And Moses goes on and
0: he, and he writes this. He says this, therefore, because you're the object of his love, because he's already done so much for you, therefore, Change your hearts and stop being stubborn. You notice the change comes after the love. The the life change comes after experiencing and remembering and embracing what God has done for these people. Obedience comes out of an understanding of their relationship with God. And here's what I want to challenge every parent to do today is that if we will fight for the hearts of our children, it will change the present reality of our children. If we fight for the hearts of our children, it will change the future reality for our children. Why? Because if we're fighting for the hearts of our children, both here at this church and at home, if we're fighting for their hearts, not fighting just for their grades, not fighting just for their good behavior, not fighting for their ACT scores, not fighting for just to get on the better team, but if we're fighting for their hearts, we will be connecting their hearts to the heart of our Heavenly Father. You see, a heart change Can lead to a life change. And Moses is saying here, therefore, because God loves you so much, because you are the object of his love, change your heart. Now, if you don't think that's important, listen to a couple of other scriptures that we get. Proverbs 4.23 says this, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Matthew 15.18, these are Jesus' words. He says this, but the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. This idea in Jewish culture of the heart meant so much. We might think about it as, you know, a love, you know, Taylor Swift holding her heart up, the whole deal, or like, hey, i got to go see my cardiologist. But but for a Jewish culture, everything flowed from the heart. Everything came from the heart. And Moses is saying here, change your heart. Because of who God is, because of what he's done, because you're the object of his love, change your heart. And if there's one message that we could communicate to our kids it's over and over, over and over again in the context of parenting, it would be this. You are the object of God's love. And because of that love, because it is so great, because that love is so powerful, because of that, it can lead to a heart change. It can lead to a life change. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. And it's so simple yet so so profound. profound. It says, fight for the heart. Because everything flows from there. Fight for the heart, because everything flows from there. I've said this before already in this series once, and we're going to keep coming back, and we're going to say it over and over and over again. A hundred years from now, your child's score that they just got on the standardized test for the state of Tennessee, it won't matter. Newsflash. The fact that they got the B team instead of the A team a hundred years from now will not matter. What will matter in 100 years is the heart change that happened in your child's life. Because they experienced, they embraced, they encountered the reality that they are the object of God's love. So we have to fight for their heart. And I promise you guys as a parent, I'm not standing up here. I got, somebody, I got a child in my house that's almost 13. I got a child in my house who's 11, a child in my house who's eight and a half, and a child in my house that will turn 5 in August. The struggle is real, to put it in a little, you know, cultural context jargon. The struggle is real. And it is, I have a daily reminder, we have to, to fight for their heart. Fight, fight for their heart. heart. Don't, don't, don't fight, fight with them. Fight, fight for their heart. And it's, it's this idea, I, I tried to try to visualize this. What, what, would, would, what, what would help people understand, understand this? It, to, it, to me, it's, me it's the, the, idea the idea of the difference between a trash compactor and a potter. And just roll with me for just a second. The difference between a trash, trash compactor, compactor and a potter is this. A trash compactor just beats everything into the mold. It's got the walls, it's got the top, it's got the, you know, and, and everything goes in, and then it just begins to just compress everything to get it to be the shape that it wants it to be. But a potter puts a piece of clay upon the wheel, and it will mold it. And if it doesn't mold it, if it doesn't look the way that the potter wants it to do, it will, it will bring it back down and start over again. But if you've ever done pottery, you cannot be rough. You cannot be haphazard. You have to have 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 care care to begin to mold that clay into becoming what what the potter potter envisions for that piece of clay clay to become. And And so oftentimes in in my own parenting, it it can look a whole lot more like being a trash trash compactor. compactor. I'm just going to make this work in the moment you will obey me. But if I would back up and I would begin to think about parenting in the context of being like a potter. And Man, yeah, that, 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 we're going to smooth that edge out a little bit. And that part of their character, yeah, there's a bump there. We're going to take the next few weeks and months, and we're going to try to do what we can to, to smooth that piece out a little bit in their life. You see, when you fight for the heart, it changes your perspective on parenting. And it changes the end result, just like what we talked about a few weeks ago, talking about imagining the end. It changes things not only today, but it changes things in the future. Here's the last thing, and the worship team can come up. is that I want us to fight for the heart. We must never stop fighting for our children's hearts, both here and at home. Why? Because Jesus never stops fighting for ours. Jesus never never stops fighting fighting for our heart. He never never stops fighting fighting for it because He's given given us His heart. heart. He's He's given given us His life. He offered offered Himself completely on the cross. Let's pray pray together. together.